Amen. Lord, we thank you that you are near to us. We thank you that you are, again, our Abba Father, Daddy, Lord, that you love us so much. Lord, I pray as we go to the Word right now that you would be our teacher, minister to every heart that is here. Lord, we're desperate for you. May you use the frailty of men, Lord, that your Word might be spoken with boldness. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. Welcome again to Calvary Santa Cruz. Again, if you don't have a Bible, you're going to need one. Amen? Read the book, don't wait for the movie. We study the Bible here, so open that thing up. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, continuing our verse-by-verse study through the New Testament. I want to encourage you to pray about coming out on Wednesday nights. We're going through the Old Testament. We'll be in Numbers 35 this coming Wednesday. Yeah, the book of Numbers. It's a great book. Ask somebody who comes on Wednesday. It's been a blessing. But to catch you up on 1 Corinthians, we've been talking in just the first couple of chapters how... Corinth is very much, Corinth, the city in the time of Paul, when he wrote this letter, was very much like the place we live in today. It's even been referred to by some as First Californians, because it is very much like the place we live in. Corinth was a place that was very wealthy. It was a place that, at the same time with being wealthy, it was also a place that was caught up in immorality. It was a place that was surrounded on both sides by the Aegean and Adriatic Sea and, and all the ships would stop there and the sailors would come into town and, and Corinth was so, was so well known for its debauchery that it all became a, basically a slur to call someone a Corinthian. It meant that you were out of control and you were immoral and you were you know, an idol worshiper and the, the biggest thing in town was these shrines to idols all over the place. So these sailors would come into town and visitors would come into town and they would take a vacation for morality and they would look up and see these shrines everywhere, the largest of which was 1,800 feet high to the goddess Aphrodite. And coming down from that temple as these sailors would come into town and visitors would come into town would be these temple prostitutes. So this place was extremely godless. It was a place that was wealthy but godless. And we also saw that they really had a pursuit or a desire for knowledge. And they loved people that were great orators. And they, they loved the philosophers, just as most of the Greeks did. And it was that philosophical capital where this debauchery was going on. And people would, let, again, literally get, escape from home and go down there and spend time down there to just live it up, and kind of like Vegas, right? Their, their motto these days is what happens here stays here kind of thing. Well, that was Corinth. Well, in the midst of all of that, God, in the power of His Holy Spirit, gave Paul the opportunity and the ability to go down into Corinth, and he planted a church there. And he didn't just plant a church there, but he stayed there 18 months, and he raised up this body of believers that was growing spiritually and was doing wonderful with the Lord. But now five years have gone by, and Paul's gone away, and during his second missionary journey, he had planted the church, he's now on his third missionary journey, he's in Ephesus, and he gets this letter that this church, these dear people to his heart, had fallen away from God, and had started to compromise and become like the world around them. And we've been talking in the last couple of weeks about how we live in a city much like Corinth, a place that doesn't really have a heart for God, a place that is immoral, a place that pursues every philosophy but the true one. But God has called us to be salt and light here, just like the church that He had planted in Corinth. Amen? Does this place need Jesus? Big time. 
But Santa Cruz, as we've talked about, means Holy Cross. And we want to continue to pray for revival here, but may it start in our hearts. And so Paul is writing this letter back to the Corinthian church, and he's instructing them with his heart breaking, having heard that this body of believers that have been raised up are now beginning to compromise and divide, and they're suing each other, and they're, they're falling into sexual immorality, and some of them have even fallen into idol worship. And so he writes this letter to them to encourage them to get their eyes back on God. And it's a very practical letter. Well, Romans was the the letter that we looked at previously. The epistle that he wrote to Rome was very much a doctrinal book. This is very much a practical book. Very easy to understand and very clear. And that's one of the reasons I love it so very much. So the first couple of chapters, what we saw, and I love the way Paul started. He didn't start off by breaking kneecaps. You know, he could have just started off going, you guys are just blowing it, right? And he didn't do that. Instead, what he did was he wrote to them and he said to them, let me remind you of who you are in Christ. You guys are saints. You've been set apart by God. God has a calling on your life. And you know what? You're to be in the world but not of the world. And you've fallen away from the Lord, but you can get right with Him. And you know what? We need to be reminded of who we are in Christ. Amen? We need to be reminded that we're born again. We're new creations. We've been adopted into His family. And it's good for us to remember who we are. And it should impact how we live. And so he writes this letter to them, and he tells them and encourages them. And then the second half of chapter 1, one of my favorite verses in the Bible, verse 18, where he says, The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are dying in their sin, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. And he talks about the power of the cross. And again, he hasn't really directly attacked the things that they're doing. Instead, what he's done is he's come straight to them and said, Here's who you are, and here's where the power comes from. The power is not in all the philosophies that are around you. It's not about the pleasure that you see going on around you. The power is in the cross of Jesus Christ. And you guys need to get your eyes back on Him because He loves you. Then He does start to address them. And He said, you know what guys, you're starting to raise up men. And Paul was really grieved in his heart because it said that they were arguing. Some said, well I'm of Paul and I'm of Apollos and I'm of Peter. And we talked about this, how in the body of Christ, God's heart breaks when we as the body are divided. God desires that we be united, amen? And when the world looks at us and we're fighting with the other believers over non-essentials of the Christian faith, all it does is is tears down the testimony of the Lord. And so he says to them, look, I'm glad I didn't baptize any of you guys. Don't get me involved in that. Don't say you're of me because nobody's to be of me or to be of Christ. Not of Paul. We're not of Calvary Chapel, amen? We're of Jesus Christ. And again, you know All the calories we have, we're like-minded in our beliefs, but you know, we're not even a denomination. We just believe and trust in Christ, and we get to heaven, He's not going to ask me what church I went to. Amen? He's not going to ask for your baptismal certificate or anything else, right? He's going to, either you know Him or you don't. Either you're His child or you're not. And so we need to be praying for the other churches in town. Again, you've heard me say it many times. You know what? If If the ship is sinking, it's not about which lifeboat the people get in, just that we get them to shore. Amen? And we should be united in seeing the lost saved and won to Christ. And so Paul writes this letter to them and says, guys, you're being divided over non-essentials. Get your eyes back on the Lord. And then last week, we looked at the true source of wisdom. Wisdom does not come from men. Wisdom can only come from God. And we saw last week that the author of wisdom is the Holy Spirit. And that's why you and I are to walk not in the counsel of the ungodly. We don't run to the world for counsel. They need ours. We don't need theirs. Amen? I don't care how many degrees they have after their name. If they don't have Jesus Christ, they don't have any answers for me. And we have answers for them. And he said, guys, that's where wisdom comes from. Now remember, he's speaking to these guys who are surrounded by the great philosophers. 
And these orators, and everybody's flocking to them, and he's warning them, guys, it's Jesus, it's not the other stuff going on around you. That's a reminder for us. Our hope and our peace comes from Christ, not anything this world has to offer. Amen? Now, we need to go to work. We need to do our job as unto the Lord. And, and we know what? We need to be salt and light to the world that so desperately needs God. But our passion and our hope and our peace doesn't come from anything the world has to offer. Our peace comes from knowing the Prince of Peace. Amen? So that brings us to chapter 3. And now he's going to begin to start being a little more direct with the, with the, the believers. And he's going to start addressing just where they are and what their struggles have been. And he starts to share some hard truth. But again, with that truth, he brings hope. And he points them to where the answers are. And he's going to talk to them about the fact that they've been walking in carnality. Now, in chapter 1, he contrasted the natural man and the spiritual man. The natural man, is, and, or woman, is all of us. When we were born, we were born natural men and women. We are descendants of Adam and Eve, which means we were born in sin. So we're all sinners. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And all in the text means all. So that's you, amen? amen? So we're all sinners, me too, right? So we're all sinners, and we saw that that's the natural man, and we were born into sin. Well, the same was true of becoming a spiritual man or woman. We were born into sin, and we must be born again into a spiritual life with the Lord. The only way we can be saved from our sin is to be born again in Christ. So in chapter 1, he contrasted the natural man and the spiritual man. Now today, in chapter 3, this morning, he's going to contrast the carnal Christian from the spiritual Christian. And I want to say this, a lot of people even debate whether or not you can be a carnal Christian. But we're going to see this morning that, yes, indeed, there are People that have been born again that are walking in carnality because we see it in this chapter. He calls them brethren. He calls them babes in Christ, but he says they're walking carnally. And we'll talk about what that means. But along with talking about this carnality, he's also going to give them hope. And he's going to give them answers. And he's going to point them how to be delivered from carnality and how to start walking in spiritual maturity. Maybe you're here this morning and you've not been a Christian very long. Or maybe you have and you haven't seen a dra dramatic change in your life. Can I tell you something? You give your life completely and totally to Jesus Christ, you're going to change radically. Amen? Because you're going to go from being dead in your sins to being a new creation in Christ, and your passions are going to change, your desire is going to change, your hope's going to change, everything's going to change. And if it hasn't, it's one of two things is true. Either you've not given your life to the Lord, you've not been saved, or you're walking in carnality. Well, the good news is this morning, we're going to see, again, that contrast between a carnal Christian and one who's growing in spiritual maturity. And if you take notes this morning, I'm going to give you some examples of the carnal man and the spiritual man and how we began to, to grow in that walk. Now, quickly, I'll give you a type, and if you've been coming on Wednesday night, you've heard this several times, but we're going through numbers. And in numbers, you see clearly a picture of the natural man, the carnal man, and the spiritual man. Because the natural man was the children of Israel when they were in Egypt. Egypt in the Bible is a type of the world. And as they were in bondage in Egypt, they were still dead in their trespasses and sins. And they were slaves to sin, slaves to the world. But then, the Lord sent a deliverer, Moses. And as we know, if they took the blood of the firstborn lamb, right? Passover lamb. And they sprinkled, they put the blood on the doorpost in the shape of a... 
cross, then the angel of death would pass over, they were delivered out of bondage. But once they were delivered out of bondage and passed over the Red Sea, they still wandered in the wilderness. And that's a picture of the carnal Christian. He's been delivered, she's been delivered out of that bondage of sin, but they're still wandering and their life doesn't seem to be having a huge impact. They don't seem to be really growing spiritually. Their life isn't really going anywhere necessarily. And God desires to do more with us than that. And you know, and I, can, I want to openly confess to you, I'm a PK. You guys know that. That means preacher's kid. And I grew up in a Christian home. And you know, the, my buddies in high school called, you know, knew I was a Christian. And when I played football in college, they called me preacher boy. But I can tell you this, that I had a, a radical experience not until my early 20s where I realized that God wanted to do more with my life than what he was already doing. Where I realized, you know what, making a ton of money and, having to, and going to church on Sunday, but you know what, God wants to do more with me. And I was wandering in the wilderness, and then God just said, you know, I want to get a hold of your whole life. I don't want part of you, I want all of you. Amen? We sing that song, I Surrender All. Let's mean it. Amen? And so what we see here is this spiritual man is the one who's not happy wandering in the wilderness, but he says, you know what, Lord? I don't want to give you part of my life. I don't want to give you an hour on Sunday. Lord, I want to serve you 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and I want to give you everything I have, because where else can I put my life but in your hands? And that's the spiritual man. And so we're going to see that contrast between the carnal man and the spiritual man or woman. And we're going to see some real clear examples of the things that we can do to begin to mature in our walk with the Lord. You know what? I desire to be closer to God tomorrow than I am today. How about you? My desire is that every year I'd be able to say I'm closer this year than I was last year. And you know, that can happen if we'll continue to hunger and thirst and desire to walk closer to Him. So let's take a look, beginning in verse 1. And I titled the message this morning, A Sure Foundation, because that's what it takes first to begin to grow spiritually with God, to have a relationship with Him, to have a sure foundation. We're going to see carnality in the church. We're going to see our proper place in ministry, where we're supposed to be, because they were lifting people up, and He's going to correct them. And then finally, we're going to see the pattern for growing in spiritual maturity. So let's begin in verse 1 of 1 Corinthians chapter 3, looking at carnality in the church. And he says, And I, brethren, could not speak to you as spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. So now he's been encouraging them, reminding them of who they are. He's told them that they're saints, they're set apart unto the Lord. But now he says to them, You know, when I was there and I spent 18 months with you, I could not speak to you as mature believers, but I had to speak to you as carnal Christians. I had to speak to you as babes in Christ. You are new believers. Now, the word there for carnal is where we get the, it's, it means fleshly, flesh or meaty, chili con carne, right? All right? Carnal. That's what it means. And it says that you guys are carnal. You guys know God, but you're still hanging on to the flesh. Now, I want to say this. He says, I treated you like babes in Christ, and it's okay if a new believer is still you know, figuring out what it means to be a Christian and how do I read my Bible and you know, how do I really start walking with God and maturing in my faith. And it's one thing to be a babe in Christ if you've been saved for three months or six months. It's another thing to be a babe in Christ when you've been saved for 20 years. Amen? Now, I love babies. I love babies. You guys know, I, I love everybody, but I love babies, all right? You know, I got four of them, and I, and I, maybe the only dad I know, I used to love, I used to fight with my wife to get up in the middle of the night to feed the kids, because I loved it. 
I love getting the bottle. I love walking and singing to them. And I love sitting in the recliner and rocking them to sleep and having that baby smell. You know what I'm talking about? Right here. And I loved it. And I loved the way that they would try to talk and little sounds they would make. And it would just kill me, bring me to weeping. And I would love when I'd come home, they're in their playpen, they're starting to say, Dada. That's great. I'm like, you can have my house. Carl, what do you want, right? You got to take it all. You said, Daddy, I'm done, right? But here's the thing. If I went home and my 16-year-old daughter was sitting in a playpen, gooing and cooing and sucking on a bottle and calling me Dada, I had a major problem, right? And the reality is that that's what he's saying. You guys should be more spiritually mature than this. You're not babies anymore, but I have to speak to you as babes in Christ because you have not grown. You know what, I've, I've met people that have been walking with the Lord 25 years and there's no spiritual maturity, there's no spiritual death. They're caught out in the wilderness just wandering around. They're not growing in the Lord, they're not passionate for God, they're not pursuing Him with their whole heart. And He says to them, that's who you are, you guys are still walking in carnality. You're still struggling with the flesh. You're still pursuing the things of the world when you need to be pursuing me. And I have to speak to you as babes in Christ. I have to speak to you guys like little, tiny children. Babes in Christ means they're believers though, doesn't it? He says babes in Christ. So that means that they're walking in carnality, but yes, they're saved. That means we can have a saved soul and a wasted life. That means we can be born again, but having zero, very little impact on the world around us. Can I tell you that I don't want that for me, and, I ho and hopefully you don't want that for you. I don't want to just have the get-out-of-hell-free card and go to heaven at the end. I, I want to have an impact on the world. I, I, the Lord loves me, and I love Him, and I want to be able to impact the world for Him and for His glory, make my life count for eternity, amen? And so he says to these guys, you, you're like new believers, and you're stunted in your growth. And the reason they were stunted, look at verse 2. I fed you with milk, not with solid food. For until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you are still not able. He fed them milk, and milk is fine when you're one month old, three months old, six months old, but at some point you better start eating some solid food or you're never going to grow. And the reality is that a lot of people are still feeding on the milk and not the solid food of God's Word. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of, the word of God. It's God's Word that transforms lives. And it's God's Word that we need to feed upon if we're going to grow spiritually. We cannot grow apart from God's Word. It's impossible. Because that's what feeds us. And that's what helps us to mature in our faith and in our walk with God. Now what is the milk of the Word? Do we need the milk of the Word? The answer is yes. The milk of the Word is, to put it simple, would be the simple truth of the Gospel. Okay? Do we need the milk? Yes. And you know what? I believe in every message I share with you guys, there should be milk, meat, and manna. Milk is the sim simple truth of the gospel. If somebody walks in here and doesn't know Christ, I want them to walk out of here knowing how they can before they leave. But along with that, for those of you who've been walking with the Lord and you're born again, I also want to feed you the meat of the Word. I want you to see the deeper truths of the Bible. I want you to know more than just how to be saved, but how now to live for the Lord every single day. How to apply His Word to your life. And then the manna is that thing that is fresh that I receive from the Lord directly for today. As I study, I say, Lord, you give me something specific from this text for our people for today. Remember, the manna came down from the sky every day. So there needs to be milk and meat and manna. But if all I ever did was get up here and tell you guys how to be saved every week, and I never gave you any meat of the Word of God, you would never grow. 
You would go, okay, I, I got it for the 5,000th time. I understand how to be saved. And it is important that you understand that, but if you've been saved, now you need to know, how do I grow? And he says to these guys, you know what? All you have is the milk. And another way that I've heard it phrased that I think is really good, the milk of the word is what Christ has done for us, and the meat of the word is what Christ wants to do in us. The milk of the word is what Christ has done for us. What has he done for us? He suffered and died that we might have eternal life. He's, you know, and he's, he paid the price and he rose from the dead and he is God. And that's what he's done for us. And now what does he want to do in us? He's seated at the right hand of the Father and he desires to transform our lives and, and make us more into his image. And so we need the milk, understand what Christ has done for us, but we need the meat to know what he wants to do in us. And he says, you guys are spiritually mature. You're carnal Christians because you've been sucking on a bottle way too long. That's a Pastor Dave paraphrase, okay? But that's what he's telling them. You guys need to get past the milk and get into the meat. He says, for until now, you were not able to receive it, and even now you are still not able. You're still unable to, to swallow the deep truth. You're still, again, a spiritually immature believer. Verse 3, for you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? You know what? As we mature in the Lord, our lives change. We start to eat solid food, and we start to put God's Word into practice. We don't just know what it says, we start to live it. That's the spiritual man. Not only that, we come to know the Word well enough that we can actually open up the Bible and have our, our, all of our answers and the things that we need to know in life taught to us directly from God's Word. We can open up the Bible and minister to others. That's spiritual maturity. But he says to them, you guys are still carnal. You guys are, are filled with envy and strife and divisions among you. Are you not carnal, behaving like mere men? Carnal means, again, fleshly. And he said, you guys are acting just like the world. And look what he says. It's envy, strife, and divisions. You know what? God... Heart, his heart breaks that we would be envious of another believer. God's heart breaks that we would be divided over non-essentials. We're not to divide. We've been talking about this the last several weeks. You know, if some other church has different worship, God bless them. That's great. If they dress different, that's fine. If they have a nice, you know, nice padded pews, then praise the Lord for them. And no, you can't leave and go to their church. You got the middle chairs, all right? But here's the reality. Sometimes we look at the non-essentials. We want to, you know, and that's, but we do have the essential of the cross. And if we have that in common, we're brothers and sisters in Christ, and the rest of it is secondary. And he says, you know what? You guys have envy and you have divisions. You're acting like mere men. Why? Because you've not been fed the meat of the word. People, I counsel people all the time, and I, one of the first questions I always ask is I ask to hear their testimony, and then I start talking to them about how much time they spend in the word, and I can promise you that people are struggling are not spending time in the word. I'm never shocked when, well, yeah, I really don't read my Bible much. Again, read the book, don't wait for the movie, right? This is God's way of feeding us. It's a love letter from Almighty God, the creator of the universe, to you on how to live your life. And yet we struggle and we'll go to men and we'll go to the world and we'll go everywhere else, but to Almighty God, He wants to minister to our hearts. And He says, you guys are missing it, you're carnal. And you guys are envious and you're bringing division and you're acting like unbelievers. Galatians 5 says, the works of the flesh are adultery, fornication, lewdness, idolatry, etc., but the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace and long-suffering. You want to know what kind of person you are? 
Look at that list and which one describes you. You know, which one describes you? If you're a carnal Christian walking in carnality, you're not going to have joy in the midst of difficulty. You're not going to have peace when nobody else does. But you know what? When you meet someone who's sold out for God, the world just doesn't get it. They look at you and think, what is wrong with you, man? You're supposed to be upset right now. You're, you're not like the rest of the world. There's something different about you, and yes, there is. Because we're new creations in Christ, and it's Jesus Christ that has made me different. You want to know where you're living? When trials come, do you get angry and envious and walk in the flesh? Or do you have joy and patience in the Spirit, knowing that God's in control? And you know what? He's going to use this for His glory if we'll just let Him. That's spiritual maturity. Carnality gets angry. Carnality wants to get even. Carnality says it's not fair. Spiritual maturity says God was in control yesterday and He's still in control today, even in the midst of this. Amen? And God's going to use this for His glory. And Lord, I can't wait to see what you're going to do. Because you're a great and awesome God. And I trust your word. You say you'll provide for me, so I trust you. You say you'll never leave me nor forsake you, I trust you. That's spiritual maturity. Carnality loses its temper, blows a head gasket. Problems they had in human relationships. Something's wrong. You know, when, when you are struggling with men, it's, it, it's a reflection that you're struggling with God. Because if you're in an intimate, loving, great relationship with the Lord, it should impact the way that you are with others. Amen? You don't see people spiritually mature who are, you know, going after people. The Lord loves people, and so if we love Him, we'll love people. Amen? We'll love Him the way He loves them. We'll see Him with His heart and with His eyes. And So verse 4. Where he says, when one says, I'm of Paul, another says, I'm of Apollos, are you not carnal? By aligning with men, you're showing your carnality. You know what this reminded me of? It reminded me of like children on a playground, right? Fighting over whose dad is bigger. Or today, whose dad makes more money is probably more appropriate, right? My dad's bigger than yours, and my dad makes more money than yours, you know what I mean? And they're fighting and arguing, and that's what children do. Children have heroes that they look up to, and men that they esteem. And these guys are like babes, and they're esteeming men when they ought to be esteeming God. Spiritually mature men don't esteem men. Spiritually mature women don't esteem men. We esteem the Lord, amen? We don't reverence men. I'll tell you, by the way, don't ever send me anything with reverend on it, because I'm not reverend. We reverence only one, amen? Amen. And it's the Lord. Not me, not any man, right? And I get that, and I go, that person doesn't know me, right? And the reality is that God's desire is that we esteem only Him, not men. Now, do we have people that we show honor to and respect? Of course. Are there certain pastors that I love to listen to teach the Word and I go to for counsel without question? But you know what? I don't worship them. And I don't put them up high and lift it up. I lift, we lift up only Christ. The Bible says if we will lift up Christ, Jesus said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto myself. And he's talking about the cross. But the application for us today is we lift him up, and he will draw all men unto himself. We don't lift up a man. We don't lift up a denomination. We don't lift up a church. We lift up Christ. Because he's the only one that can transform lives. And so we see here that I'm of Paul, and I'm of Apollos. And he says, you know what, that's carnality. And you'll know you're in a carnal church. When there's factions and fighting. You know, I grew up in a denominational church, and I remember fights, I mean literally knock-down, drag-out fights over what color to paint the nursery. And you think I'm kidding. Committees over, you know, whether we should get an organ or a piano, and like people are going to leave the church and if we don't get a piano. But I want an organ. I mean, it's just, out, it's crazy. And that's carnality, Amen. 
That's what happens when we start being focused on stuff instead of focused on the Lord. And the, the Lord's desire is that we again would lift only Him up and our eyes would only be on Him. We wouldn't be fighting and in factions over things that are non-essentials in the faith. So first of all, we saw carnality in the church. Now he's going to tell us our proper place in ministry. Look at verse 5. Who then is Paul? Now who's talking? Paul. Paul says, who is this Paul guy anyway? Now you notice, you've got to love the humility of Paul because he doesn't say, so which of you guys are of Paul? All right, I'm bro. All right, you know what I mean? He doesn't say, you know, okay, my fan club, everybody over here, you Apollos guys are in big trouble. He doesn't do that. What does he do? He says, who is this Paul guy? Who's Paul? Who am I? Is what he's saying to them. And he says then the rest of the verse, look what he says. Who is this Paul? Who is Apollos? But ministers through whom you believed as the Lord gave to each one. You know what? Our, pop, our proper place in ministry is tools in the hands of the master. Paul and Apollos were simply tools in the hands of the Savior and nothing more. If you've been coming here any length of time, you've heard this analogy, and forgive me because I'm going to share it again. If you're new, you'll hear it for the first time, right? But here's the reality. I'll never forget one time I was here visiting my parents when I still lived in Southern California. I got the worst toothache of my life. I thought I was going to die. I mean, I would have given my car to get that toothache away. You ever had a toothache like that? You know what I'm talking about? And guess what? It was Wednesday night before Thanksgiving. Every dentist was closed. So I'm calling every dentist that's got emergency service, and they're like, no, dude, I'm eating turkey. It ain't, it ain't happening, right? And so I'm calling, I'm calling, and, and, and finally I get a hold of a guy, and he's like, well, I'm going to have to charge you double. I'm like, charge me ten times. I don't care. I mean, my tooth, oh, right? So I go down to this place, and he numbs up my tooth, and then he does a root canal, and he fixes my tooth, and I'll tell you, oh, man, it was like, wow, that was awesome. Now, when he got done, I did not grab the drill that he used and go, oh, thank you, drill. You're such an awesome drill. You know, what a blessing you are. Oh, you know, kiss the drill, right? I didn't do that. That's stupidity, right? Why? Because the drill was not what fixed my tooth. It was the dentist, amen? And so I was like, bro, I'm hugging this guy. You have no, I mean, I'm crying it hurts so bad, right? I'm like, praise, you know, thank you, bro. And I, how much, put a zero on the end of that. I don't care, right? Just thank you. You know what? We are simply the drill in the hand of the dentist. We are tools in the hand of the master. We should not get any of the glory. He gets all of it. Amen? And when he's telling them, here's, look, it's not us. It's not, who's Paul? Who's Apollos? We're simply tools in the hand of the master. You glorify him. I'm of the drill. I'm of the bit, right? I'm of the thing. I'm the sharp, pokey thing, right? I mean, you know, I'm of this. I'm of that. I'm of the hammer, right? No, he says, I'm of the master. I'm of the savior. I'm of Christ. And he says, guys, don't look at me. We're simply tools in the hand of the master. You glorify the one who we were pointing you to. And we were unable to do anything if he did not take us and put us in his hand. Verse 6, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Paul and Apollos each had their individual ministries. I want to encourage you with something. Be content in what God has called you to do because what God has called you to do is important to the ministry. Amen? And we're all called to be in the ministry. So whatever it is that God has called you to do, you should be content in that, knowing that every ministry is, is viable, every ministry is needed because God's the one who called you to do it. And, that, you know, you'll notice they didn't start arguing. Well, all you got to do is plant. Paul's got to water. 
You know what I mean? And sometimes we do that in the church. You know, well, I'm called, to, you know, my call is this. I really want that calling over there. And I want to encourage you with something. That if he didn't plant, there'd be no, there'd be no seeds to water. Amen? If somebody didn't come here early and set up the chairs, there'd be no place for you guys to sit. Amen? And sometimes we look at the most simplistic things in the church and we think, well, man, I want, you know, I want to be the worship leader. I want to be, and maybe God will, will allow you to do that at some point. But the point is, be content where you are right now and be faithful to setting up chairs in the same way you'd be faithful to prepare to lead the church in worship. Because in God's eyes, they're both equal callings. Amen? And, it, and God's going to bless you just as much if you're faithful to show up early and, and get the bathrooms in order as if you spend all night studying to teach the Bible. God rewards them the same if you're just obedient to what He has called you to do. And He says, I was called to plant and He was called to water, but the Lord gave the increase. You know what? Only the Lord can bring any increase. Without Him we can do what? Nothing. And nothing in the Greek means nothing. Okay? You can't do anything without Him. We, we're desperate for Him. So He, again, we're, we're just simply tools in the hand of the Master. He gets all the glory. We take no credit. Touch not the glory. And He says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. Verse 7. Verse seven. So then neither He who plants is anything, nor is He who waters, but God who gives the increase. Paul, again, refers to himself as nothing. He says, the one who plants is nothing. Because God alone brings the increase. It's God who produces the miracle. It's God alone, again, who should receive the glory. The person who, who re again, relays the good news is unimportant to the one whom the good news is about. Again, it's like delivering a telegram. The good news that's in it and the, the thing that's coming has nothing to do with you. It's just you bring it and say, hey, can I share some good news with you? Here it is. Can I share it with you? And that's exactly what our heart needs to be. And I love Paul's heart that he says we are nothing. Because again, apart from Christ, it's exactly what we are. And in Christ, we should glorify only Him. And each calling, again, has that equal importance. We do not lift up man, we lift up the Lord. Verse 8. Now he who plants and he who waters are one. And each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field and you are God's building. Now, I love this because he's telling them, that they are one. Even though one of them waters and one of them plants, in God's eyes, they're one. Even though somebody comes and works in the kitchen so that we can all have coffee to drink and you'll stay awake while Pastor Dave's teaching, right? And there's somebody else who comes and again sets up the chairs and somebody else comes and prepares to teach in the children's ministry and all those things that happen, we're all one in God's eyes and they're all equal callings in God's eyes and we're all called to be just as faithful in each one of those things, Amen. And he says, the one who water and the one who does it, they're all one in the Lord because they're called by God and may they be found faithful in their calling. But what he also tells them there, they will receive a reward according to their own labor. And I love this because he doesn't say you will receive a reward based on how many people get saved. How many of you know that this is true? If you go out and share your faith with 10 people, you pray for them, you share the truth with them, and none of them get saved. Or you go out and share your faith with 10 people and all of them get saved. I believe that your reward is exactly the same in heaven. You know why? Because you've been faithful to do the only part that you can do. Because you can't save anybody. You can share the truth and the love of God. You can share the hope that lies within you. And now the rest, the Holy Spirit is drawing them and they need to respond. 
And it's in God's hands. But we are called to be faithful. And he says there, you will be rewarded based on what? According to your own labor. And the word there for labor is toil, pain, trouble, or weariness. You know what? Sadly, sometimes as Christians, we'll serve God, but only if it's not too difficult or doesn't interrupt my plans. You know, I want to serve God, but I got six nights a week, uh, you know, working out and softball and, you know, I got fight, you know. And, you know, if he could figure out a time when I'm not busy, I'd be happy to jump in, right? And too often we, we want to serve God as long as it doesn't cost us anything. But you know what David said? When someone offered to give him the sacrifice that he needed, he said, I will sacrifice, I will not sacrifice anything that costs me nothing. Because if it costs me nothing, it's not a sacrifice, Amen. Jesus came and died that we might have eternal life. He left heaven. He's perfect, holy God. And it cost him everything that you and I might have eternal life. And we are to labor. And again, this is not works-based salvation. I'm not talking about you labor so God will save you. He already has saved you if you're born again. You're already going to heaven. But now we labor in response to his love, not so that he will love us. Amen? He already loves you. And you respond and you toil and you labor because you love him. And because you have a passion for the things that he has a passion for. I know it's not easy when you're working full time to prepare a message for the children's ministry. I know it's not easy to set aside an evening to, to prepare to lead worship on Sunday. I know it's not easy to do those things, but you know what? I promise you, you'll never regret it. And you will absolutely not regret it when you get to heaven that you didn't spend more time in your ski boat. Amen? You're not going to get to heaven and say, man, I should have relaxed more. I should have watched more TV. That's what I should have done, right? We're not going to stand before Almighty God on Judgment Day and wish we had done less for His kingdom. I guarantee you we'll all be looking back saying, man, I should have done more. Because that's the stuff that's eternal. Because when this time has come and passed, only what we've done for Christ will last. Nothing else is going to matter in heaven. And, and the reality is that it's hard to, to break free from that. But God desires that we would be willing to labor and lay down our lives for Him. Don't do it out of guilt, but do it out of your love for Him. It's a, a fruit that results from salvation, verse 9. And he says, therefore, you are God's fellow workers. Does that blow you away that you're on God's team and you're his fellow worker? It baffles me that God uses me. It ought to baffle us all that God would use us. But he uses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And he doesn't use you and doesn't use me because we're so wonderful. He uses us because he's so wonderful. Amen. And the reality here is he's telling them we're fellow workers. And God has given us this amazing opportunity to work with him. When you witness, he's with you. When you teach the children in the children's ministry, the Lord's with you. When you get on your knees and intercede and pray for others, the Lord is with you. When you set up the chairs or work in the kitchen and you're doing it for the Lord, he's with you. You are fellow workers with Christ. I can think of no better team to be on than that, amen? And it's good to know that I'm not doing this alone, because if I were, it would be fruitless. But I tell you what, I love the fact that the Lord lifts us up, and the Lord walks with us, and the Lord desires to use us, because we cannot work without Him. And He has chosen, you know what, I love this, and He's chosen not to work without us. He, could God do anything He wants? Of course He can, He's God, right? Could God open up the sky and just give the, give the gospel? Just open it up, in the right? Everybody, oh. You need, to, you need to turn from your sin and be born again. He could do that, right? Right now. He could do it. But you know what? He chooses not to. He chooses instead to use me and you. 
He chooses us. He could do it without us, but he chooses to do it through us. And what a blessing that is, and what a privilege that is, and God wants us to be his partner. Then he says, you are God's field, you are God's building. God desires not only to work with us, but to work in us. You know what? He desires to plant things in us. He desires to water what he has planted in us through his word, and he desires to produce fruit in our lives. And we are the building, both the church as a, a corporately and us individually. And that's what we're going to finish up looking at here with the last 13 verses is that God desires to work in and through us, producing fruit for His glory. And so He's dressed carnality, and He's told them about their spiritual immaturity, but now He's going to tell them the pattern for growing in spiritual maturity. If you're here this morning, you're going to hear in these next 13 verses how to grow as a Christian, how to become more spiritually mature. If you take notes, I encourage you to do that. All right, Let's begin here in verse 10. And He's going to talk about the pattern for growing in spiritual maturity, both as individuals, and then us as a church. Look at verse 10. According to the grace of God, which is given to me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another builds on it. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. There is no other foundation foundation there is no other hope there is no other answer there is no other truth there is no other way there's no other life it's jesus amen and for us to grow spiritually the first thing that must happen is we must be built upon christ he must be the foundation we got several contractors in this room if you don't have a good foundation under your house i don't care how sweet the building is above it it is not going to last long amen you know i bought a house in southern california and we bought this house, and we're living in an apartment, and we drive by, and the house was going up, and it looked great. It was this big complex of homes, and all of a sudden, they stopped working on them. And our house was like 95% done. And we went to the office, and there was nobody there. And when you got a deposit down, you don't like that, right? I'm like, what happened to these people, right? You start calling around, you finally find out that... I think they did it backwards. They tested the foundations late. They found out they were no good. And they were going to have to bulldoze all the houses and start over. And because it was going to cost so much money, they just walked away. So there set my house 95% done. And it sat there for four years. We ended up buying another house, got in our deposit back, and they ended up burning it down and burning all the houses down in a movie that they made there. But the reality is that that bad foundation meant that even though that house looked really sweet on the outside, that when they came and the engineers, whoever checks it, looked at it, they said, you know what, these houses are going to crumble. You've got to redo the foundation. You know what? If we have a foundation, if we lay a foundation on anything other than the cross of Christ, it's going, the house that we're living in is going to crumble. Amen? And you cannot put your faith or your trust in any other foundation. So what are some of the other foundations that the world trusts in? We can trust in men we can trust in philosophies we can trust in a special method or a favorite doctrine or a really charismatic teacher can i tell you right now that none of that is a foundation that will endure i don't care what the method is it'll crumble apart from christ i don't care what doctrine you're pursuing if jesus christ is not at the center of it if it's not the cross of Christ, if it's not Jesus Christ and crucified and risen from the dead, if your hope is in the power of anything other than Him, it will fall apart. 
So how do we grow spiritually? How do we mature as believers? The first thing that must happen is our feet must be firmly grounded in Christ. Amen? That's the foundation. That's where it starts. And anything less than that, don't bother putting up a brick till you get that right. Amen? And then he tells them that the foundation is Christ and that any other will crumble. And I love 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 2. He said, I determined, this is what Paul said, not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. He knew that was the foundation. He knew if that message wasn't taught, anything else that was taught was going to be in vain and worthless. But the Corinthian church was emphasizing personalities. They were emphasizing men. And there was no real lasting fruit. And eventually, it would all collapse if they did not get their foundation on Christ. Again, if it's not founded on Him, it's not even a church. So he says, no other foundation can anyone lay. Now, the next thing he says is, not only do you need to have the right foundation, but you must now build the house or the temple out of the right material. You've got to have the right foundation, and you've got to have the right material. Let's take a look at verse 12. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, and precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each one's works will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. Now, there's a clear contrast between the different kinds of materials you could use. Let me ask you a question. If you could use any materials you wanted to build a house, would you want gold, silver, and precious stones, or wood, hay, and straw? Right? But he's saying if you, you can use gold, silver, and precious stones, or wood, hay, and straw. But then the fire's going to come. And which of those things are going to endure the fire? The gold, the silver, and the precious stones. Now, what do these things refer to? What, is, what are these things that can endure the fire? It's interesting that if you go to Proverbs, that gold, silver, and precious stones, each one of them refers to the wisdom of God. His wisdom is greater than rubies. His wisdom is like fine gold. And you know what? When that fire comes in that time of judgment, if we're trusting in the wisdom of Christ, we built our house in the faithfulness of God, then it will endure. But if we build it in our own works that are apart from God, doing it our own way, without His wisdom, with the wisdom of the world, the wisdom of the world is straw. The wisdom of the world is stuff that is perishing and will not last. That's why not only individually do we need to build our, our walk with God on the wisdom of Christ, but so too we need to as a church. You know what, guys? We're not going to go out and ask the world how to reach people for the kingdom of God. We're not going to try to preach to the felt needs that man has. We're not going to take a survey and ask people around the area, so what would you like us to share with you? We're going to share with them what the Bible tells us they need to hear. Amen? Because it's the Word of God. It's the precious things that will endure. It's that straw and that hay and that wood that will, that will pass away and it will perish. The day will declare it. You know what that day is? That day is the day that we will stand before God at the Bema seat for judgment. The Bible talks about it. And, it's in, and here's, what it, here's what, there's judgment for unbelievers. And then we will stand before God at the Bema seat judgment. We will not be judged for our sin because our sin has been paid for. But what we will stand before God and be accountable for is how we've lived our life for Him. And he says, on that day, I will see if your works were gold and silver and precious stones or wood, hay, and straw. Did you 
Live your life set apart for me? Did you do things that produce fruit for the kingdom of God? Were you seeking after my wisdom and my will? Or did you do things according to the wisdom of men and the ways you thought were best and it was fruitless? You know, we can fool men and we can make men think we're doing great things for God. But God knows the truth. Amen? We can make it look like we're doing these awesome, wonderful things for the Lord. And we can get over on man, but God knows our heart. God knows our motives, and God knows what we're using as a foundation for the things that we do. Again, He'll judge our works, but not our sin. And 2 Corinthians says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body. And it's revealed by fire. And it's interesting, this is not the refiner's fire that's talked about in trials as we live on the earth. This is talking about when we stand before the Lord. And it's interesting that in Revelation 1 and Revelation 2, Jesus' eyes are spoken of as flames of fire. And we stand before Him and He looks upon us. He'll know. He already does. But He'll know our heart and He'll judge our heart and He'll judge what we based our, the things that we did for Him. Did we do it out of love for Him? Did we seek after His wisdom and His will? Or did we do things just to look good before men? And again, as a church, we're to do the same thing. To seek after God and His heart. Again, all the ministry we've done, is it to draw attention to ourselves, to impress others, or to point people to Christ? If you're doing it to draw attention to yourself, it's wood, hay, and straw. If you're doing it so that people will know. And, you know, and, and can I encourage you, you know, even as your pastor, I've got some discernment. There's people that they don't want to do anything unless everybody knows they're doing it. And I'm like, you know what, we'll get someone else. They want to make sure they do it at the time when the most people are there. So they can all see them. And they want to walk around and tell you how much they've done. And it's like, bro, where's your, you know, the Bible says your reward, you're done. Game over, right? You know what I love? I love people who just want to serve God and they don't want anybody to know it. That's the right heart, amen? Why? Because then God is glorified, not men. When people walk in, they go, wow, praise the Lord. You know, they, they, the person that goes and knocks on the door of the people that are hungry and leaves the groceries and runs away. And the person opens the door and sees the groceries there. Who are they praising? God. But if you come and make a big presentation of it, come knock on their door. You know what? I want to help you guys out. Right? We're going to bring it in now. We're going to set it up and let them thank you about 75 times. Straw. Amen? We need to do it that God might be glorified. We need to do it that people's eyes might be pointed to Him and they might not look at us. And we're going to be, re- and it blows me away that God's going to reward me when He gave me the gift anyway. Doesn't that blow you away? Here's a gift. Now use it, and then I'm going to reward you for using the gift I gave you. What an awesome God we serve, amen? Thank you, Lord. I, I can't do anything. I know you can't, so here, I'm going to give you something so you can, and I'm going to help you, and I'm going to be with you the whole time, and then when you get to heaven, I'm going to reward you for using the gift I give you while I was standing next to you and helping you do it. It's like me going outside and mowing the lawn with my son while he watches me, and then me paying him five bucks to watch, you know what I mean? I mean, that's what's happening, and praise God that we have such a God who rewards us for simply saying, yes, Lord, I'm here. Lord, I need your help. I know you do, and I'm going to help you. Look at verse 14. If anyone's work which he has built on endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss. But he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. So he's not talking about unbelievers. He's talking about believers who do works that are fruitless. So we can do work unto the Lord and do it in the wisdom of God and it can produce much fruit and it can bring honor to His name or we can do stuff in our own power that draws attention to ourselves that will fade. Again, check our motives. I pray that myself all the time. Can I tell you that? I pray myself all the time. 
I ask, Lord, to keep me humble, to keep me where I need to be, to keep me desperate, to keep me in a place of fear and trembling every time I open up the Bible to teach it. If I stop trembling when I'm teaching, I'm going to stop teaching. Because then I'm going to start getting confident in me because I can't do it. And you know what? That's how we, you know what? And my Lord, I, just keep me there. Do whatever you have to do. You know, Paul had a thorn in his flesh to keep him humble. Sometimes what we, need, we need to be kept there because we can get puffed up. God does a great work and then we take the credit. That's straw. May we never touch his glory. Then he says there, verse 16, Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? So not only are you his fellow laborer, but he dwells in you. And what's awesome about this is there's two words for temple. One of them is about the temple itself, the entire temple. If you came when we went through Exodus or Leviticus, we talked about the temple, right? And it's interesting that gold, silver, and precious stones are in the temple, and that's what he talks about here. But you know what's interesting? The word for temple here is naos. And you know what it is? It's the holy of holies. It's where the Shekinah glory of God dwelt. It's where God, where his, the kabod is the word there. And he, and he literally dwelt. His presence was there. And he says that very presence that led them, the children of Israel through the wilderness, when they could look up and see the pillar of fire, and the Shekinah glory was on the holy of holies, that dwells in you. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and Almighty God dwells in you. You're not God, but He dwells in you. Amen? Make that real clear. Some people think, well, God's in me, so I'm... No, you're not. He's God, you're not. Amen? But He dwells in you, and He leads you, and He walks with you, and He never leaves you nor forsakes you. And so, can you see the difference why it's so key that as born-again new creations in Christ, as Christians, why would we walk in the counsel of the ungodly? We have Almighty God living inside of us. Why would we run to the world when the creator of the universe lives in us. And he's given us his word, and he'll interpret it for us, and we will seek his face. Man, I love it. The Holy Spirit, God's glory, dwells within us as a church and dwells within us as individuals. Verse 17. If anyone deviles the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy, which temple you are. God doesn't take it lightly when men or women defile his church. Along with His glory dwelling within us, do you know that we are His bride? How would a man respond if someone defiled his bride? Not real well. I'd be in, you guys would be sending me a cake with a hacksaw in it or something, right? The reality is, if someone defiled, right? But here's the reality. We're simple men and women, but He's perfect, holy God who suffered and died that we could become His bride. And He doesn't take it lightly when people defile His church. That's why when I see some of the stuff that happens on TV in the name of God, I think, whoa, dude, I'm praying for you because you better get right with the Lord. It's not going to be pretty. Things that are done in the name of Christ so that man might get wealthy, so they might fleece people in the name of the Lord. We've all seen it, haven't we? And it breaks my heart. I think, wow, how seared over must your conscience be? And he says, those who defile the temple of God, God will destroy him. The only time you see Jesus get angry in the New Testament, where is it? In the temple, when he turned his father's house into a den of thieves, and he took a whip and he drove him out, and, and turned over tables. Why? Because the temple is a place for God to be glorified, and you know what? We're his temple, and we're to use this body that he might be glorified in it. Amen? You know what? We, when we sin, we take the Lord with us. We take the Holy Spirit with us, and praise God that he convicts us. You know when you're sinning, don't you? Amen? If you don't, you need to get saved, because the Holy Spirit lives inside of you. He lets you know, Right? He lets you know before you sin, doesn't he? You're getting ready to do it. He's like, don't. 
don't do it, right? And then we just, we do it anyway, and then we get the Holy Spirit head slap, right? That conviction of the Holy Spirit. And he convicts us because he loves us, to draw us back into right fellowship. And he says, those who defile the temple of God, he will destroy them. Last few verses here. Now lastly, not only are we to use the right material, but God desires that we have also the right heart, the right plan. Look at verse 18. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you seems to be wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of the world is foolishness with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their own craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. You know what? We're not to have the plans of men, but the plan of God. You know what? It's interesting. And I wrote this down in the wee hours this morning. Worldly wisdom depends on promotion, prestige, influence, and money. And God's plan for the church depends on prayer, the Holy Spirit, humility, sacrifice, and service. You know what's interesting too? The church that imitates the world may succeed for a moment. And we see it right now. Church is using every plan and motive in the world to draw a crowd, but then not taking people to the cross. And for a moment, it'll look successful. But in the end, if the foundation is not Christ, it will crumble, it will be fruitless, or at the very least, at judgment, when it comes before the fire, it will be brought to ashes as wood, hay, and straw. But I want you to see this. It's interesting. That the things that the church says we need today, the church in the book of Acts didn't have any of it. What the world says we need in the church to be successful, what do you got to have? You got to have a lot of money. You got to have a really good facility. You got to have a smoking band. You got to have a bunch of technical stuff. You got to have all, you know. And it's interesting that the first century church had no property, no government influence, no treasury, because Peter said silver and gold, have I none. They had leaders who were a bunch of ordinary people with no special education. They had no attendance contest. They had no slick marketing tools, and they didn't bring in one celebrity to promote their church. Not one. And yet, they turned the known world upside down. Because it's not about having the right tools. It's not about having the right marketing. It's not about bringing in the right celebrity so we can draw a crowd. It's about us falling so in love with the Lord and being filled with the Spirit of the living God that we just become contagious. And we just begin to have healthy sheep be getting healthy sheep because people see Jesus in us. Amen? Peter, they said of him, you know, he's an untrained man, but he's been with Jesus. May that be said of us. It's not all the degrees after our name, but the fact that we've been with Jesus. Our church must be built according to God's plans, led by His Spirit, confirmed in His words, not according to worldly wisdom and practices. So we need the right plan, and lastly, we need the right motive. Look at the last three verses. Therefore, let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours. And you are Christ, and Christ is God's. You know what? Everything we do, we do for the glory of God. The Corinthian church had been glorifying men, and it was wrong. It brought division. It divided the body. It, it lined up men behind men instead of unifying them behind Christ. And he says, let no one boast in men. Don't boast in men. If you're going to boast in anything, boast, boast in Christ. Amen? Talk about how great God is, not how, not how great some, some man is. We need the right motives to glorify God, not to glory in men. And too many of us are more excited about meeting someone influential or famous than we are about being with the Lord. I thought about this myself. You know, if President Bush was coming over to my house tonight, 
I'd probably make sure we had some really good food and all the utensils were clean or something, right? Well, in my house, they always are because you've got to know my wife, cleanest person in the world. But here's the reality, that we look at those people and we want to honor them. And I'm not saying we shouldn't honor the President of the United States and, and respect him as, as it says in Romans 13. We should. But we should honor God more. Amen? And shouldn't we, every moment of every day with the realization that we're walking with him and have an intimate fellowship with him, take time? If, if the president was coming to my house or you know, your favorite athlete or your favorite whatever celebrity was coming to your house, you would make sure that you spent whatever time was necessary to be with them. But you know what? Almighty God wants to spend time with you. And he's always available. Amen? And we're not to put our focus on men, but our focus on God. We're to pursue him. Spiritual maturity comes with the right foundation, with the right motives, using the, the right methods and, the, and having that right heart before God and making sure that He's first. And our focus isn't on men, but our focus is on God. And we touch not the glory, and we realize we are simply tools in His hands. And He says, all things are yours. All things are yours. All is ours in Christ. If you have Christ, you've got everything you need. Amen? I don't need anything else. i got Jesus. What else do I need? The rest of the stuff is perishing. If I've got the Lord, I've got all I need. You'll find out He's all you need when He's all you have. You know, I've been to India, and I've seen families, six people living in a tiny room. With, they don't even know where, where breakfast is coming from, and they've got more joy than anybody I've ever met in my life because they've got Jesus, and they know that's all they need. And too often we get so distracted in pursuing all this other stuff, and we think, I've got to have nine bedrooms to be happy. Right? I've got to have the next tire. I've got to have the, my car's two years old. I've got to get a new one. And we think if we just get that promotion, if we just get that, then we'll have peace. No, you won't. Because the peace comes from Christ, not having more of the things that this world has to offer. And I love what it says there, last point. He says, even death. Even death for us as Christians is a good thing. Amen? To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. As Christians, we don't die. We just move to a much better neighborhood. Amen? We close our eyes here, we open them up in glory. What an awesome thing. So even death for us is gain. Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Amen? Spiritual maturity puts things in perspective. The spiritual man says, it's all good because it all, it's all mine in Christ. And I'm pursuing him and he's all that I need. And there's where my hope is and there's where my joy comes from. And the works I do, I'm doing for him that he might be glorified, not that men might see me. And my foundation is firmly planted in Jesus. So in closing, the right foundation for life is Jesus Christ. You want to grow spiritually, you want to grow maturity, that's the first point. Number two, you need the right materials, serving God with the right heart, serving the Lord that he might be glorified. Third, having the right plan, the wisdom of God's word, not the wisdom of men. And then lastly, the right motives, doing all for the glory of God. May we be mature in our walk, feeding on the meat of God's word, not just what he has done for us, but what he wants to do in us. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you, Lord, that you desire to do a work in us. We thank you first for the work you did for us, that you suffered and died that we might have eternal life. We thank you, Lord, that it is finished to die. We thank you that our sin has been paid for. Lord, and I pray if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, that they would know. It's a simple prayer of, I'm a sinner, and I want you to be my Savior, and you will forgive them. Lord, for those of us who have been forgiven, Lord, I pray that 
we would hunger and thirst to know you better, that we would not be satisfied with the milk of the word, but we would hunger for the meat of the word. Lord, that we would not just look back on what you've done for us, but we would desire for you to do a greater work in us. Lord, help us, Father God, to see the world through your eyes, to love people the way you love them, to be broken over the things that you're broken over. Father, we lift up Santa Cruz to you. Bring revival here and start in our hearts first. May we turn Santa Cruz County right side up, amen? And, and Lord, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, that you would just move mightily. Father, we love you. We praise you. We worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.